ready for the word? Do you honor the word of God? Does it inspire joy and hope in your life? I hope you believe that. Amen. We're going to do something very special after the word comes through. We're going to spend some time praying. I gave you, I said I was going to give you a gift this season. It's a gift of prayer. You're going to to love prayer so much that you'll feel uncomfortable not praying. Like you'll be in a place where you're having a conversation with someone and something will be doing you. You should be praying. And God is going to settle some matters today when we pray. And one thing also, um, before I travel out, I have some gifts to give some people. Some gifts. Some gifts. Not material gifts. Spiritual gifts. And I want you to be ready. I'm going to pray. The Lord is going to be here. I want you to be ready to receive. Be passionate about receiving from the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. So can you shout at me the series we've been for how many weeks now? Maybe four or five? Four? Man. By the way, we've been in church, a physical church, for about a month. (laughs) Glory to God. God is great. You know, one thing that keeps us going is as as much as we have so much to be grateful for, we know where God is taking us to. It's as clear as day. It's it's visible to the blind, audible to the deaf. And I can't wait to see it. But we are going to enjoy this moment as we get there. Amen. Beautiful. What is the teaching series we've been, we've been going through for a while now? Ecclesia. Va- fantastic. Ecclesia means what? A called out assembly for a purpose. Very good. And today we're going to talk about something very important. You've probably seen the posters already. It's called Right Side Up. Right Side Up. You're going to get what it means very soon. But let's open our Bibles to John chapter 14 from verse 1 to 6. John chapter 14 from verse 1 to 6. If you're not with your Bibles, we've saved you today. It's going to be on the screen. But next week, I can't promise you. By the way, I met these two beautiful people today. Sorry to put you on the spot. Are you a couple? Are you a couple? Or your brother and sister? You're not siblings. You look alike, by the way, but, okay, not married, not, okay, okay. Well, you look, you look great anyways. I don't, I, anyways. <laughs> Let me now put you on the spot, don't worry. <laughs> we'll talk after service. Are you there? John chapter 14 from verse 1. All right, it says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then a very popular scripture that many of us quote But many times we don't even understand what it means. I'm going to help you dissect it. And it goes on in verse 2 to say, In my what? In my father's house, what? There are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, this is Sunday school now. You will learn it in Sunday school, right? I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be. Also, I'm going to pause here. Go to the previous verse. It says something important. It says, in my father's house are many mansions. Maybe in Sunday school, like me, this is how I was taught. 
In my father's house, many mansions. Hey, yata. And as much as you do on the earth, it is proportional to how your mansion will look like. For some of you, your mansions will look like in a, how it is in Ajegunle. Some of you, Banana Island. I've heard that exact description before. So as you are preaching the gospel, the angels are building your house. As you are praying, they are laying the bricks. But when you are not going to church, yeah, remove that brick, remove it. This guy is not serious. <laughs> you are building real estate in heaven. Is that what it means? How many of you still believe there are mansions in heaven? Like actual structures. Okay, only Fisayo, nice. <laughs> but this is what the word means. House here is oikia. The Greek word for house is oikia, and it means a, a, should I say, how do I explain it? A gathering. A gathering. And then it goes further to say there are many mansions, and the word mansions here is monet. M-O-N-A-I. Why do we talk about Greek words? Who has an idea? Who can tell me? Fantastic. The Bible was not written in English. So sometimes some words that are used in English can mislead us unconsciously from the original meaning. All right? So it's not to impress you, I hope. Um, but yeah, the Greek words are very important. And so the Greek word for mansions is monet. And simply it means space. Space. And the reason why the word mansion is used is to describe how large that space is. Are you following? So if we're going to put it in my father's dwelling area, dwelling place, in my father's gathering, where, where the angels, the celestial beings gather, where my father is, there are what? My father's family, there are, there are many spaces. There's much room. Are you following? I'm getting somewhere with this. There's room for you in my father's family. But he said something. He said, if you were not so, I would have told you. Then he says, I go to prepare, go back to, the, to that verse. I go to prepare a place for you. When he says, I go to prepare a place, what does that mean? Who has an idea? What does he mean? Is he going to reserve your seats? And put reserved. What is he going to do? Verse 6 helps us out. So when he, he's, he talks to, I think it was James that, that had this conversation. Go to verse 4. Okay, yeah, go back. Go back. <laughs> go to verse 4. Thank you. Yeah, so he says he's going. The Lord Jesus said he's going. He says, where I go, you know, and the way you know. And then verse 5 Oh, it was Thomas. I mean, you must have seen that coming, right? He's the one that likes to ask questions. Lord, we don't know where you are going. And how can we know the way? And then he responds in verse 6. Let's read it together. One, two, go. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is powerful. What he's saying is this. I am doing something I am going to a place that will pave the way to the Father. I am going to a place that will pave the way for life to come through. 
And the way that he's talking about the place he is going to is through his, is to his death. Are you with me? It is the death of our Lord Jesus Christ that separates us from our sins. It is the death of our Lord Jesus Christ that washes us clean with his blood and gives us access to the Father. Are you with me? The Bible says that we were once far off, strangers to the commonwealth of, of Israel. We were estranged from God. We had no relationship with him. But Jesus did something. His blood brought us near. Oh, you didn't hear what I said. I said his blood brought us near. So he's making a very big statement. He says there is no other way except through me to get to the Father. So he has excluded every opportunity and every claim of everyone who has ever lived that they can find God. You've heard people say that, universalists. You know, you can find God anyhow. You know, we all go through different paths in life. But at the end of the day, everybody finds God in their own way. Have you heard that before? It's not true. It's not. He says, I am the way. So what I'm about to do and where I'm about to go on Calvary's cross will pave that way and make room for you. Does that make sense now? He's saying, in my father's family, there's room for you. But you see, the way I want to, for, this, for the sake of this teaching, what I want you to see is not just that there is room for you, but through the lenses of love, I want you to see that there is so much room for others. There's so much room. Mansions depict the, the, the magnanimity of the, the space. How huge it is. When I think about it, you know, let me just ask you. Some of you already know this if you've gone through our apologetics conferences before. How many people die on a daily basis? Who has an idea? If, if, you, if you're confident, just say it. Okay, yeah. 150,000 people die on a daily basis. And the year that COVID happened, the number skyrocketed. So when I think about the scripture, I'm saying every day, about 150 people could either have been part of this family or not. This 150 people, some of them could have gone without knowing that there was room for them. Are you with me? So this news of much room, it is a joy. It means everyone is welcome. Everyone, whether you are young, you are old, you are male, female, you are of whatever racial distinction. It's saying everyone is welcome, but it comes with a burden. Especially for those of you who are already part of God's family. Are you with me? It comes with a burden. And that's what we're going to talk about. Praise the name of Jesus. You know, <laughs> something funny, I was reading that scripture. It says, when Jesus says, I am the way, that I am, the Greek word is emi. You want people you understand? Very interesting. Anyways, that's just a joke. But this is what I want to tell you. I want to show you what happens when God's people, I, I can't complete this series, and I wish it could go on longer. But for now, we'll cap it at this. But I can't talk about you and the privileges that you've had coming to God's family without telling you what is expected of you now that you're part of God's family. I have to help you. And so I want to show you with these scriptures. I'm going to read two scriptures. What ought to happen when the church moves into a community? 
when the church of Christ and the gospel gains entrance into a place, something must happen. It has to be evident that a people sent from God are here. Are you with me? Acts, open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 19 from verse 11 to 20. Do you love the word of God? Beautiful. You're going to love every single verse of this. Acts chapter 19 from verse 11 to 20. Oh, thank you, Jesus. All right. Oh, great. Beautiful. So we're talking about a man called Paul. And this, the Bible says, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Just so you know, next year, many of you will work unusual miracles. It's not, it's not to make you feel good about yourself. It will happen. And you will be shocked. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body. By the way, handkerchief is not always the neatest thing. I hope you know. What day is it for? <laughs> and God used that to what? To heal the sick. And the diseases left them. These same handkerchiefs and aprons touched people who were possessed and they were set free. This guy stepped in this place and things were happening. Next verse. Then some of the itinerant Jews, Jewish exorcists, took it upon themselves to call the name of Jesus over those that had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. <laughs> say, ah, do this is how he works. Let's do our own. And you know the story. There were also seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, who did the same thing. And then what was the result? <laughs> and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know, but Danny, how do you say it in Yoruba? <laughs> Who are you? Who do you think you are? And then what happened again? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled one man against seven. And just so you know, I've seen this happen, but it was before people. I've seen it live. This was back in school, and they called me to the room to help. And I had to be safe too, let me be honest. Because what I was saying was dramatic. This guy was fuming, his eyes were red. I just stayed by the door, I said, okay, you, you guys just hold him. <laughs> hold him back. In the name of Jesus, get out. And the guy said, no, no. And he knew my name, apparently. I said, get out, no. I said, oh yeah, get out now. And that was it. President Shakara. But look at this. Now, verse, this is the next, go to the next verse, please. By the way, they fled out naked and wounded. That's crazy. This became known to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them, and the name of Jesus was magnified. Now, when you read this, how does an evil spirit overpowering seven men bring glory to God? Have you had that question before? How many of you have had that question? Okay, just me. Um, fear fell on them, and the name of Jesus was magnified. What actually um, the writer of Acts, Luke, was saying here, he was talking about what had happened before. The focus, this was a side story. The focus was what? That God worked unusual miracles by the hands of what? Paul. That his handkerchiefs and aprons, oh, that was close. I was about to say aprons. 
touched people and they were healed and delivered. And because of that, this became known to both Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them and the name of the Lord Jesus was glorified. Hallelujah. That people tried to masquerade as sent by God, but the real one who was sent by God did something by God. And, fear, and look at what happened. Look at the next verse. Oh, my goodness. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. People saw this. This was Ephesus, by the way. They saw what had happened. They came out. Hey, have you watched Yoruba films? That after all the wicked things they've done, at the end of the film, when <laughs> they will now confess. And whatever happens, happens. This is what happened. They, they came out, confessed every bad thing they had done. And then it says also, please follow me, don't be too fast. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and he totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Jesus was betrayed for how many pieces? <laughs> for you to betray Jesus for 30, it means it's a lot. And when all the people who had practiced sorcery, this has been their livelihood for generations. One man came to a city with the gospel and the signs that followed the gospel and everyone came confessing, ah, there is true power that is bigger than ours. There is a name truly that is above every other name. They brought their books. They said, we are letting go of tradition, letting go of past practices and we're going to follow this Jesus that you're preaching about. Are you with me? That book, Ephesians, this is how it started. This is how it started. Can we come to a place, if I let me put it as a question to you. If, <laughs> if now I said I need 10 people to follow me to Aproko village, I don't know if it exists, but I say I need 10 of you to follow me to Aproko village. In Aproko village, the density of witchcraft and sorcery is the highest in the country. They have about 10,000 deities they worship and they offer sacrifices every night. But the Lord has sent us to go. Who is coming with me? Hey. <laughs> raise your hand. I'm taking notes. Hold on. Keep your hand up. Keep it. Oh. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I need one more person. One more, one more, one more. One more, one more, one more, one more. One more person. Just nine. Jamaka, you look interested. Ten. So I'd like to announce to you all that by March 25th, 2024, ten of us will be. Go okay. But just imagine, just imagine that. You go to the city, what do you do first? By the way, you must go pray up, oh. <laughs> we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There are principalities. How does it happen that someone visits the, uh, visits, I said visits, sorry, visits the village, and as they just enter across the border of the village, they have sickness, unusually. They've been waiting for you. But this is what Paul did. He went in the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit. And he said, I'm coming to this city to pull down the strongholds. 
and bring light to this generation. Are you with me? That's what the church should do. It's not a one-man thing, by the way. By the way, when you read the account, he was with his companions. Luke was there too, accounting for all that happened. They went to this place. We're going to bring Jesus to this place. That's what the church should be known for. I'm going to read the second text to me. Still in the book of Acts. Oh, this is beautiful. The language that the Bible uses for us is we're the light of the world. And we're the what? The salt of the earth. We preserve because of us. This world is being preserved. Acts chapter 17. This is Paul's visit to Thessalonica. Acts chapter 17 from verse 1 to 6. Let me show it to you. Are you there? Acts chapter 17 from verse 1 to 6. All right. Thank you, media team. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So he's talking about Paul and Silas. And next verse says what? Then Paul, as, oh, this gets me every time. As his custom was, he went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. And this tells you something. You know, a lot of people say when you preach the gospel, you just need to preach the gospel with your lifestyle. Are you a good Christian? Just go there. When they see the glory of God, they will just believe. Is it true? How can you preach the gospel that Jesus died, was buried, and was raised after three days by your looking? By the way you appear. You wear your Sunday's best. Ah, glory! Jesus died, I'm saved. Is that how it happens? The gospel is a message. It must be preached. And with the preaching comes the power to save. Amen. And he was such a person, I said, sorry. He was such a patient person that for three Sabbaths, for three weeks, he would visit these people and argue with them. It was a new message. So they had questions. You mean from these same scriptures we Jews have read all our lives, you are telling us about that the Messiah we've been expecting for hundreds of years has finally come. We have questions for you. And he reasoned with them again and again, again and again. Now, what was the result? Look at the next verse. Explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer. Like him being killed on the cross was, was a plan all along. That was not defeat. That was a victory. It was part of God's plan. The Christ will suffer. And then he will rise again from the dead. Hallelujah. And saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Next verse. By the way, Christ means the, the anointed one, right? So the name G Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. It's a title. And so he was explaining that, no, this Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. Make sense? And some of them were actually persuaded. They believed. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Beautiful stuff. Then let's look at verse 5. Quickly, verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded, <laughs> becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace. Look at how they described the men. They were known to be evil. And they carried them from the marketplace. And gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. That's where they were staying. They were camping at Jason's house. Look at the next verse. 
Pay attention here. Look at the testimony of the people concerning Paul and Silas. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Look at that testimony. The people who changed this world, they've come to Thessalonica too. In fact, for the church, I'd rather use the term right side up. Because the world is already upside down. <laughs> but I get what they were trying to say. They were the ones that flipped the switch with the preaching of the gospel. They're the ones that brought light in darkness. They were the ones that brought salt where it was bitter. Are you with me? That is the identity of the church. We cannot be in a place and no one knows. No one feels the impact. I'll make it more practical. We are here. We've moved to this place called Bagada. To be precise, if I call Bagada. They must feel our impact. They must know we are here. Are you with me? We'll talk about how that will happen. I'll give you very practical tips. But you cannot be in a ah, yeah, you cannot be in a place and no one knows. As the church, it's an anomaly. It's not supposed to be. But to the glory of God, the vivified church will bring life to communities. We will bring life to the streets in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So let me tell you, let me ask you this question. What do you think, when all is said and done, matters most to God in this world? What do you think matters most to God in this world? You know, when we talk about purpose, a lot of people mistake purpose for assignment. Things you do part time. And they say your purpose is your career. I might not get into that too soon. But like God's purpose for your life could not be that from the foundation of the world he created you and predestined you to be a footballer. I don't believe that. But I truly believe that God created all humans to give him pleasure. And the Bible says the only way to give God pleasure is by what? Faith. Are you with me? Without faith it is what? Impossible to please God. But he says in Revelation 4.11 that we are created for his pleasure. All things. And so if the purpose of creation is to give him pleasure, then our purpose is to put faith in him and help others put faith in him as well. In that way, we all give him pleasure. Makes sense? I just compressed it to our teaching in one minute. So what is going to happen is this. We need to investigate what the will of God is and align to that will. In anything we do as a church, the purpose of the church is defeated if it's not aligned to the purpose of God. Makes sense. So what is the purpose of God? What does God will above all things that would happen? Glory to God. That's true. And I'm going to show you a scripture. She says that all people come to know the Lord. Let's go to this scripture. It's very powerful. Second Peter Chapter 3 from verse 9. I'll read it from the NLT, but you can show it in the KJV or NKJV. There's a word I want to I pick out there. Is it on the screen? Is it in your Bibles? Second Peter 3 from verse 3, from verse 9. I beg your pardon. No, okay, let's read from the NLT first. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. So every time you've been saying, Jesus is coming soon. He's coming back again. Oh. 
He's coming back again. He went away, I promise. Okay. You people have been singing this song for how many years now? Where is he? And he's trying to explain. See, he's not that he's sluggish or he's slow or he's late. He's not punctual. What is he doing? He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so he is giving more time for everyone to do what? To repent. We see that pattern in Noah's flood. People think Noah's flood was just a, oh, people were doing bad things and said, Noah, oh yeah, oh yeah, time has come. Bring your family. Yeah, people gone on a nice boat cruise. That's not what happened. Noah built that ark for several years. In fact, historians said almost a century. And alongside, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. That's what the Bible calls him. So for 100 years, that has to be the most, permit my language, but the most failed evangelical mission. That for 100 years, no single convert except your family. Ah, they were bad. And I'm, maybe when we have the time, I'll explain why that is. There's some, there's some supernatural connotations there. But this guy pleaded. Sodom and Gomorrah, there was a timeline as well. There was a negotiation that went in for the people to repent. In, in Nineveh, God had to send a man who ran away, brought fish to carry him. Nice, before boats was invented or plane, plane right, sent him to this place, Nineveh. And Oga just carried himself. If, if you read the story of Jonah preaching to Ninevites, ah, you, you just went, oh, smelling of Titus and what of, it was like, Hey, all of you, um, if you are listening to me, Sha, God said he's going to destroy all of you. He'll destroy you terribly unless you repent. Peace out. And because of how gracious God was, that message grieved the heart of everyone, even the king. That the animals were, <laughs> were mandated to fast. I've never seen a repentance, repentance like that, but the Lord is also saying this. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I got this word in a camp meeting I had that the preaching of the gospel we will carry next year will come with an unusual convicting power. That you, you are using simple words. Like you can literally read John 3.16 and you are seeing hundreds of people saved from the reading. It's happening next year. Not just with me preaching it, but with you. You'll just be surprised. Ah, that was easier than I thought. I just, can't, I just simply said, Jesus loves you. And this is how he loved you. And then you are crying. God is raising evangelists amongst us. And not just evangelists, effective ones. In Jesus' name. So, in fact, the scripture here was saying, not willing that any should perish, right? KJV, not willing. I see his will there. His patience to have people repent. That all be reconciled to him. That is the purpose of God. Salvation through Christ Jesus. That is the purpose of God. I've never seen God more invested in anything than the salvation of man. Are you with me? And so as a church, we must align with that purpose. That is how we, we will find ease. We're not trying to do building projects and, and things that will just make people impressed. We should get places where people can gather and meet, yes, but when it's about the glamour, the gimmicks, we've lost the lifeblood of the church. It's to bring more people home, to show them that there truly is what? Much room in God's family. Amen. Glory to God. All right, so let's do this. I want to show you, I want to show you four things that I think will help 
all of us in participating in turning the world right side up. I'm going to give you four points. But again, the, the preaching of the gospel is not an option, neither is it a suggestion. It is our commission. It's what we've been called to do. It's not optional. But the Lord said to this, make disciples of all nations. It was all of us that were involved in that. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, we've been called as what? Ministers of reconciliation. And we stand in God's stead pleading, as if God himself were pleading through us, be saved. Be saved. Everyone, minister of reconciliation. You know, some people ask me, Pastor Ken, I want to do ministry, but... I don't know what to do. How, am I a, a children's minister? Am I a music minister? Like, what is my purpose? What, am, what is my mission? Am I an apostle? I said, and my answer every time is this. There is no ministry that would come to its full fruition when it doesn't start with the fundamentals, with the foundation. You must make disciples. Whether you're a music minister or you must make disciples. And as they are faithful in that work of making disciples and preaching, it will then become clear where you are going to. It was as Paul was preaching to the Jews, the Jews, and just preaching to people, and then he started to see that the Jews were not as receptive as the Gentiles. Then he said, oh, wow, it makes sense now. Perhaps God has called me to the Gentiles, just as Peter has been called to who? The Jews. It's in doing the foundation of ministry, which is the reconciliation of mankind, that you find your true calling. That will save many of you a lot of stress. Praise the name of Jesus. So number one, this is where it starts. So for those of you who are thinking, where do I start? Number one, be equipped. In turning the world and the communities around us right side up, number one, be equipped. You need to be equipped with the right knowledge to preach the gospel. In fact, our mission statement as a church is this. Who, who can say it? Who can shout it out? What is our mission statement? Don't fall my hand. Oh. Who wants to try? Who wants to try? If you wrote it down somewhere, I, I give you permission to open it. Let's hear you. One second. Enlightened and equipped people who spread the knowledge of the truth wherever they are found. Is that correct? Very simple. Basically, to raise enlightened and equipped so you are enlightened with the knowledge, but you're also equipped with all the supernatural ability you need to do the work. Spread the knowledge of the truth wherever you are found. Does that make sense? In fact, every church's mission statement should be a, should I say, a representation of this, of the presentation of the gospel. So be equipped. You need to learn everything that you need to become an effective evangelist. And I'll give you an example. Look at Acts chapter 9 very quickly. Are you learning something so far? Okay. Acts chapter 9. From verse... What verse is it? <laughs> From verse 19, yes. We're going to read 19 to 20. 22, actually. 
All right. Are we together? It says, so when he had received food, he was what? He was strengthened. So this was Paul. He had just witnessed the Lord on the road to Damascus. And now he was fine. He was able to, he had received his sight. He was eating and he was able to eat. The Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. He spent some time to be discipled with them in Damascus. And verse 20 says this. Immediately, after he had spent some days being grown and equipped, what did he do? Can you read it at me? How? Immediately. Oh my goodness. This is a man that understood the burden of what he had just received. If truly Jesus is the only way, ah, my people need to know. No time to waste. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that what? He is the son of God. That's all he knew. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. Believe in him. The next verse says this. Then all who heard were amazed and said, it is not the one who destroyed those who called on the name in Jerusalem. And he has come there for the, here for this exact purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. We know you. Are you not the one who was persecuting the church? And next verse, look at what happened. But Saul, who is Paul, increased all the more in strength and he confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is what? So he moved from what? Proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ to what? Proving. But what he did that was right was that he knew the burden of what he had received and he needed to talk about it, even if he didn't know everything about it. Are you with me? And as a believer, you actually know enough. The gospel you received is enough to save someone else just like you. Are you with me? No excuses. But there is a place where you must also grow in what you know. Amen. To be equipped. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. And what is our message? It's very simple. There is bad news of the fall of man. And there are consequences for it. Man rebelled against God. And the wages of sin is what? It's death. It is true. And in the presentation of the gospel, the person who is hearing you needs to know that there's something wrong. For you to... For those of you who are in marketing or in business, if you want to sell a product, you must first identify the problem that you're trying to solve, right? There must be a problem. And so when we talk about the gospel, there is really a problem, an eternal one. But then there's also good news, amen. And the good news is that the, the God who is just is also merciful, and he sent his son to die on our behalf. Hallelujah. That is powerful stuff. It will be the best news you ever hear. Ever. That's what it means. Evangelion. So good to be true news. And then because of it, there is a required response of faith. This is the message. So there's bad news, but there's also good news. There's the justice of God, but there's also mercy. And there's a response required of you. The one who believes and confesses with their mouth will be what? Be saved. And then this brings eternal life and inheritance of the saints. Whether it's the, the baptism we receive, the, the glorified bodies we anticipate, it's all part of the package. Amen. So that is the gospel we preach. I, we'll spend some time in the month of January 
breaking down the concepts of soteriology and salvation. It will be beautiful. Glory to God. It's my best season ever, honestly, in the, in the year. When we talk about that, it's just my favorite. Number two, be bold. Number two, be bold. Number one is what? Be equipped. Number two is what? Glory to God. God expects us to stand opposition in the face. He expects us to be as bold as lions. And because there's something about boldness that I've come to realize in, in terms of how effective it can be. Has someone ever lied to you boldly and you chopped the lie? Eh? It must be bold or else it's not believable. Are you with me? If a guy comes to toast you and says, ah, I was, by the way, I was a victim of this. No, no, not a guy. What? Come on, guys. I was a victim of not being bold. Uh-huh. <laughs> let's, let's clarify. And so I went to talk to this. This was my first crush. The crush was bad. I could not even eat in her presence. It was that bad. Her ambience. <laughs> ah, it was bad. So I now walked up to her. And this is how I said it. I was like, um, how did I say it? Okay. I walked up to her and I said, sorry, can I talk to you for a moment? And I was like, I think, I think I like you. I don't know, like, they're just like these feelings that I have, like, I don't know how to explain it. Does it make sense to you? I was talking like I was giving a word of knowledge. <laughs> That's how it sounded. But imagine, you just, you know, you just approach like, hey, baby girl, how are you? You know, I, I can't say that you take my breath away because you're the only air that I breathe. You know? And I, I want to get to know you. I think you're be- the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. You do me the honor of being my boyfriend. Uh, eh? Lago. <laughs> I think that would have happened to me too as well. But the point is, there's one that sounds more believable. There's something about confidence in the, in the message you present. I won't forget the story I read of an atheist who was running in the rain in East London. He was running under the rain and someone found him who knew him and read his books. He said, ah, 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 sir, sir, where are you going to? Please, can I get an autograph for this book he wrote? He said, no, no, I don't have time. I'm going somewhere. Where are you going to? There's a, there's a Christian convention, a crusade happening. But sir, I thought you're an atheist. Yes, 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 I'm an atheist, but I finally found someone who actually sounds like they believe what they are saying. There's something compelling about boldness and confidence. I can tell you now that it's 5 p.m. right now. And if I'm, I'm bold enough, I might be able to convince you. Are you with me? There's something about boldness. The gospel was designed to be presented with boldness. And the reason why is because you have every reason to be bold about the gospel. Romans 1.16, shout it at me. What does it say? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? It is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, first to the Jews and all. It's saying that the, the, the gospel, Shatali, the gospel is powerful. There is inherent power in the gospel. That as you preach it, it comes with power to convict. 
Ah, you have, you have every reason to. It's not your God, it's not your message. And it's not your power, it's God's power resting in the gospel. Aye, that gives you all the confidence you need. I've seen it work in my life. Where I just, in fact, I spoke to someone yesterday. I met, I've not seen her in, in a long time. And she said, do you remember how we met? I said, how? She said, I was in 200 level. She was in the lecture theater trying to do her assignment. And I walked up to her. I just said, hi, how are you? You look amazing. Can I talk to you for a minute? And then I started to talk to her about the gospel. And she said that, that was the day her life changed. That, that's when she got saved. I had forgotten the story. And so she reminded me. I'm like, that's true. The gospel is that powerful. It's that powerful. You can walk up to someone. And, and look, I'm not saying it's going to be the same situation every time. There are times where you stay three Sabbath days to debate. There are times like that. But the gospel is powerful. It's powerful. Believe it. Oh, glory to God. So much to say, so much to say, but man, can you say the gospel has power to save? And so I will preach the gospel. Glory to God. Number three, be charismatic. Be charismatic. Oh, glory to God. Pelitu selekia baladis. Hebrews chapter 2 from verse 3 to 4. This will bless you a great deal. It will bless you a great deal. Hebrews 2 verse 3 to 4. Oh, this is, this is good. Is he on the screen? Great. It says, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Powerful stuff. Like you cannot neglect this salvation. But the point I want to show you is in the next verse, verse, verse 4. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders with various miracles and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the same thing, by the way. Signs and wonders, various miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So, see, hey, see, I get back, you know. Not only does the gospel have power to save, the Lord wants to confirm that truly this Christ you speak about is not dead. He's alive and we can prove it because his power will show here. One of the most compelling things you can ever see about the resurrection of Jesus, about the proof that Jesus resurrected is that his power is still alive. I've had debates, so, and I, I can bring out the points. I've had debates. There was a time I had a 12-hour debate with some people in school. Was it 12 hours? Am, am I exaggerating? Maybe eight. I had a long time. I was in school. We were supposed to be preparing for exams, but somehow, as my custom was, <laughs> and we were just talking and debating, and then... The guy said, prove Jesus. By the way, the guy sent, just so you know how beautiful the story is, he sent some money for the planting of this church. It was an atheist and he, he asked me, prove to me Jesus is alive. I said, come out for a bit, come out. And I see you outside. The Lord gave me a word for him. I said, what happened to your faith in God because of your father? And the guy was looking at me. I said, what happened? 
And he said something he had not shared with anyone that he lost his father at a time. His father was a, a minister in church, a worker, and he had prayed. The father got sick and he died. So he was disappointed. He felt God let him down. And because of that, he said nothing again about church. And I just hugged him. And I just reminded him of God's love in spite of it. That his dad is in a better place. That was all. The word of knowledge, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because when you go, see, if you are asking the question, ah, Pastor Ken, I've never healed a sick person before. I've never prophesied. I, I've never raised the dead. I've never cast out devils or opened blind eyes. Go on the mission field. Just go. Ah, you will see it. it <laughs> hey, glory to God. All right, you will see it. You will see it. Next year is... I'll share some things during our transition service. But I can assure you, when you go out in the message, to preach the message of the gospel, there is a backing. You will see it happen effortlessly. It's not, it's not that you go and then the clouds turn gray. There's thunder. <laughs> the power of God is here. It's not that dramatic. Sometimes it's just the knowledge and the faith in this knowledge that the signs follow you, that it will work. So you have a pain in your leg. Can I pray for you? In Jesus' name be healed. Check it out. And it's gone. What happened? The signs confirmed the preaching of the gospel. Oh, glory to God. Number four, the last point. Be friendly. <laughs> be friendly. I'll explain. I'll explain. Glory to God. We need to remember that when we preach the gospel, people are not projects. Are you with me? People are not assignments. Something to work on. They are people. And they should be loved. They should be taken care of. We are to build genuine spiritual friendships in evangelism. Are you with me? Discipleship is spiritual friendship so that the you are grown to the, the, the image or the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Spiritual friendships to spiritual maturity. Are you with me? That's what discipleship is. So as many of you will start to take on discipleship and disciple people, and you will do that in the name of Jesus. I gave you an assignment last week. I hope you've not forgotten. It comes easier with genuine friendships. When Jesus did ministry on the earth, he didn't mind to hang out with the worst of sinners. Now, I'll talk about the balance to this. There's wisdom. Now, not that you go alone. You say, I'm passionate about Jesus. And as a lady, you're going by 11 p.m. in a dark corner where they are smoking and drinking. And my Lord is with me. <laughs> okay. Okay. But the point is this. God wants us to make genuine friendships the gospel to let people know that they belong and they are loved are you with me they're not projects they're not an assignment they are people glory to god that's what god wants us to do as we preach the gospel make genuine friends one thing i want to encourage you to do is this right when we're transforming communities it happens one person at a time do you understand one person at a time so what we need to do is start start somewhere start with someone for some of you, it might be someone in this community in Bagada, or it could be someone from your secondary school that you lost touch with, or someone in your university, or someone in your neighborhood. Just, just a simple conversation. How far now 
starts with a conversation. I did something with my neighbor, by the way. Invited him over. It was a public holiday. I said, bro, let's, let's play some FIFA now. How far? And we played FIFA. I was like, Lord, how do I transition into that conversation? I had a genuine ulterior spiritual motive for inviting him. And then they took lights. Ah, yes, Lord. I said, ah, let's go out for some fresh air. And boom, preach the gospel to this guy. By the way, he's Muslim. And he was listening, listening. I asked him, does this make sense? I showed him the distinction between what they believe as Muslims and what we believe. And why that's not the case. He was like, he believes. You understand? Though now, there's some things I can't say yet. But, <laughs> but that was something that... I was willing to do for the sake of the gospel. I want to encourage you. It's very simple, right? And next year, we're going to have something called Streetlights Academy. We had one this year. It was beautiful, where we train you how to preach the gospel. We give you scenarios. We do live action, acting, just so you understand how easy it is. So next year, we're going to do that. We're going to talk about some more specific world groups and religions. But you're going to be equipped. Amen. So the question will not be, did we equip you to be, were you ready? Did you take action? Glory to God. So yeah, please participate in our Streetlights Outreach next year. And as simple as just sharing a flyer, inviting people. For, for example, we have the Christmas worship this afternoon. It's a very good opportunity to come around. We have a hangout. Bring them over. These are the ways to make it happen. Amen. I'm going to end on this note regarding the gospel and we're going to pray. Please show it on the screen. It says this, the gospel is a powerful message. Trust it. The gospel is delicate. Protect it. The gospel is urgent. Emphasize it. The gospel is timeless. Keep it relevant. The gospel is good news. Share it gladly. The gospel is passionate. Tell it boldly. The last one, can we read it together? The gospel is true. Believe in Glory to God. Precious Lord in heaven, we thank you for this word that has come strongly. For some, it has come like an arrow to their heart. It has come with such fire and passion. Lord, for these ones, activate in them an evangelistic drive that will last a lifetime. I pray that all of us will understand the burden and also the responsibility that comes with the preaching of the gospel. But even more so, we will see the results of preaching the gospel. We will see the harvest of preaching the gospel. As we take this bold step in obedience to you, where you've called us as ministers of reconciliation, we will take that step and go to those communities, go to our schools, go to our neighborhoods, go to our workplace, and just be a light in dark places. We will be salt to this earth. We will be mouthpieces of God in this generation. Lord, let it be. And Lord, we ask that truly as you have promised us, as we venture into the new year, we will see such unusual convictions by the Spirit. That people will hear the gospel and it will grieve them. It will convict them. They will, re they will reject their sins and bring out their books of idolatry and burn them and say, it's Jesus I will follow. That truly next year, everyone will see and bow to the name of the Lord Jesus. They will see that he is the name above every other name. All principalities and powers will bow. Where there are intellectual barriers, we destroy. Where there are strongholds of intellectualism, we will, we will bring them down. 
and bring them under the obedience of Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, as they do this, signs follow. Oh, no, no. I mean the, the kind that Paul experienced, unusual miracles. Oh, just that by walking into a place and a community, the people know that the people of light have come to this town. In the name of Jesus, when all is said and done, we will be said to be the ones as a church, as a community of faith, the vivified church, the ones who turned this nation, who turned this continent, who turned this world right side up. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you. We believe it. We partner with your spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Come and shout glory. Glory.